Greetings and welcome to A Stone in Zion, the weekly podcast of Zion Lutheran Church in Reedfield, Wisconsin. First of all, I just wanted to say happy Easter to everyone who's been listening. And also an apology here, I've been trying to keep up with the weekly interviews before the sermon. Um, didn't happen last week because the Holy Week, and didn't, or the week before, and didn't happen this last week either. So, uh, apologies on that. I'm working on getting a, another interview lined up, though, for next week's podcast. So, hopefully, we'll kind of be back to the normal thing. Just a couple of thoughts here on this sermon. Um, I always am amazed every year when I look at the Easter lessons and just see how they are such a a reaction to Easter by the people. And, you know, the, the people, the apostles, the women, um, whoever it might be, uh, Easter causes a reaction. That news that Jesus is alive, it has to cause a reaction. And I think that is just so prevalent in the Easter season. And um, and it has to be in our lives too, and for myself too, because you know every year it's like, well, we got Easter, we got Holy Week, all these things that we have to say and do, and then um, I also need to take some time to think about what Easter means for me and how I need to react to Easter. And I hope that's something that we all um, think about in this Easter time. And um, I hope that uh, you enjoy the sermon here. I'll go ahead and hit uh, play on that. Blessings to you. Like I said, I hope next week I'll be back with another interview. Our sermon text for our morning today was that first lesson I read to you from Acts. Allow me just to read a couple of verses to you again, uh, starting with verse 29. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. Your brothers and sisters in Christ. Why do people act in really strange and abnormal ways? Psychologists have tried to figure that out. And uh, from my research, I see that they basically have four different theories and they have four different ways of treating strange behavior. One way of, of seeing bad behavior is that it's all about repressed subconscious things. You know, something happened in your childhood and that's causing all sorts of problems in your adulthood and you need to talk to a therapist and bring all those things out in the open. One theory is that you just have a bad set of behaviors and you need to use positive reinforcement to change those behaviors. Or you have a, a bad way of thinking about things. Your thinking isn't wrong and you just need to change your way of thinking. And another way of looking at it is that your brain just has chemical imbalances and you need to take medication to change those chemical imbalances. Today, in our first lesson, we saw some really strange behavior, some very abnormal behavior coming from the apostles. I'll just give you a quick deep, a re rundown again of what happened in that lesson. 
So we have the apostles are teaching everyone about Jesus, and they get arrested for that because the police, the Sanhedrin at that time, they did not want them doing that. So they arrested and put in jail. Well, an angel comes and breaks them out of jail. A miracle. What do most people do when they escape from jail? They run, right? They try to leave the country. They want to get out of that area. They hide. They want to not draw any attention to themselves. That's the normal thing that an escaped criminal would do when they get out of jail. But what did the apostles do? They went right back to where they were before, into the temple, which is the most open public area in the whole city. And they were doing the very thing that they were told not to do before, the thing that they got arrested for. Of course, this is bizarre. What is it then? Did these apostles have some sort of a repressed childhood trauma? That was causing them to act this strange? Or, or did they have bad behaviors or, or bad thinking that they needed to correct? Or were there chemical imbalances in their brains that would cause them to behave this way? Well, perhaps, perhaps there's a fifth reason that can cause people to behave in different ways than how we might expect. And I would propose that that fifth reason is Easter. These people, these apostles, had seen Jesus with their own eyes die on the cross. They had seen him die. The soldier came with a spear and cut his side. He was dead. He was not faking it. It was not a mistaken case of death. Some of them took the body down themselves placed it in the tomb. And then, three days later, they saw that same Jesus who they placed in the tomb. They saw him come back to life. God had raised Jesus. And that changed their very lives. And it changed how they were going to then live their lives. Because God had raised Jesus as their prince and their savior. And I think that as we too, maybe we weren't there to take the body down. We weren't the ones putting the body in the tomb. But we have it recorded for us in scripture. And we know it to be true that this happened. And this has to change our lives too. As we see Jesus as our prince and our savior. So it says here in our text. He is the prince. That means like he's the, the, the ruler. You know, the thing is, when it comes to our lives, there's a lot of things that want to be the ruler of our lives. And we're not so good at multitasking. You know, Jesus once said in the scriptures that a man cannot have two masters. If he has two masters, he will love one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. You know, you can't have two. And I've seen that in people's lives where perhaps they want to have a normal life, but then they're also addicted to drugs or alcohol. 
And perhaps they think that, that they can serve both masters. But the thing is, drugs and alcohol doesn't like to share. They want to take over. And sometimes people think they can do both, but I think they're just fooling themselves. Their job, their families suffer because those other things want to be the master of their life. And, you know, it doesn't just have to be drugs or alcohol. It can be so many different things. Mindless entertainment, uh, sexual sins, all these things want to take control of our lives and serve as our master and to kick God out. And that's where this verse comes in in our text. We must serve God rather than man. Now, we need to understand a little bit of context here when the apostles said this. It says that Peter and the apostles said we must serve God rather than man. Well, remember, they were speaking before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin is like a, sort of like a courtroom kind of thing. These were the Jewish leaders, but they were also part of the government. And they had a police force. They had their own trials, their own courtrooms. So they were like you know, the gov- our government, essentially. And the government was essentially telling them, stop talking about Jesus. Stop going around and telling everyone about you know, what we did to Jesus and how we crucified him. Don't tell anyone anymore. And you know, in some ways, it's, it's kind of nice that they were warning the apostles. Normally, they, they don't do that. Normally, they just try to silence them by death. But here, they're actually just warning them. But you see, this caused a problem. Because God, through the angel just before, told them that they had to go throughout all of Jerusalem telling people about Jesus. And now you got the government telling them, you don't talk about Jesus. What are they going to do? Well, that's why they say, we must serve God rather than man. I think sometimes people think that we don't have to obey the government at all because of this passage. But really, that's not saying that at all. Only really when the government and God are in complete contradiction of each other. When the government is telling you to do something that's sinful, do you really have that that prerogative then to obey God rather than man? Otherwise, the government isn't telling us to do something sinful. We have to obey that. That's part of God's will for us in our lives. You know, as Americans, it's great to have all these freedoms. Uh, But I think sometimes people use these freedoms as ways to uh, indulge themselves. Just do whatever I want to do. And regardless of of what God wants or what others want or what's good for others. I think we can use these freedoms that we have for bad. And I think as Christians, we see freedom a different way. We see freedom as a way not to indulge ourselves, but to serve others. To serve God serve the, 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 the government that God has placed over us when we can, and to serve one another in love. We see that, that here they had to make that decision because they couldn't do both. There's two masters, they had to serve one or the other. And they said, we will serve God. That's quite a, a bold statement, isn't it? To tell the government, no. I'm not going to do what you want me to do. 
How could they do that? Well, think about these apostles. We, we read about them in the gospel lesson, which was on the first day of Easter, how they were in these rooms, the doors were locked, they were terrified. And now just a few weeks later, they're standing in the Jewish courtrooms and they're defying these people. How could they go from one to the other? Well, they saw Jesus in that room, first of all. And I think that Easter message, it emboldened them, gave them courage to do things that are strange and and hard. Let's think for a moment about school. Now imagine that you're a student, and for some of you that's going to be easier than others. But imagine you're a student in a school, and you're being bullied. The teacher tells you, well, you know, if anyone here is being bullied, just come and tell me, and I'll set the bully straight. But perhaps this person being bullied realizes that if they tell on that bully, that bully is going to find out. And they know that the teacher is not going to be everywhere. The teacher cannot do everything. And the teacher doesn't know everything. So they realize that maybe that bully will make their life all that much harder if they tell on them. So they don't tell the teacher because they don't think the teacher can really protect them from that bully. And that will make their lives just double worse by telling But now let's think for a moment. What if the teacher was everywhere, able to be everywhere and to see everything? What if the teacher was able to do everything, had all power to stop the bullies? What if that teacher knew everything? They knew the the plans and the um, schemes of the bullies. They knew all the problems. Well, do you think that student would have a hard time then confiding to that teacher? They shouldn't, right? They should be able to trust that teacher would then protect them and help them in that difficult situation if that teacher had all that power. Well, unfortunately, it doesn't work that way with people. You know, there aren't teachers that can be everywhere, know everything, and do everything. But of course, Jesus can. And that's really what Easter proves to us. The fact that God raised Jesus from the dead shows that he is all-powerful. He is all-present. And he, he knows everything. And we can do things that uh, maybe we'd be afraid to do otherwise. Easter really is that fifth reason for us to do strange things. I think sometimes we're afraid, like those disciples, and we don't need to be. You know, we can live our lives as Christians, even if the rest of the world thinks that's crazy. Even if, you know, this selflessness is is taken advantage of by others. We don't have to be afraid to serve God with our time, our talents, our financial blessings. People might think that's nuts. Why would you do that? But our answer is Easter. Because we can do things. We can even suffer and and undergo hardships or difficulties in this life because we know that our teacher, Jesus, will watch over us. He's all-powerful. 
Those disciples knew that, you know, God just raised, or God just brought them out of jail. If they, if the Sanhedrin puts them back in jail, he can bring them back out. If the Sanhedrin wants to kill them, if it's God's will, he will save them. And we can have that same confidence in our lives, too, as we serve the Lord, to know that he is going to help us through every difficulty because he is all-powerful. God raised Jesus as our prince. He's all-powerful. We see that truth here in our lesson. I think we can live that in our lives. But he also raised Jesus as our Savior. That's very important, too. It says here in our text, I'll read that verse 31 to you again. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. It says there that Jesus gives repentance to the believers. Now, what does that mean? What is repentance? Well, repentance is sorrow for what we've done that's wrong. So how can God give you sorrow? How could God make you feel sorry for what you've done? Well, the truth is, by nature, we aren't sorry for what we've done. I think that that sometimes we talk about people being stubborn, and some people say, oh, this ethnicity is the most stubborn, that one's the most stubborn. It doesn't really matter. The most stubborn ethnicity that there is, is the human race. Because we all, by nature, stubbornly want to cling to our sins. We want to deny that there's anything wrong with what we're doing. Oh, the rest of the world is doing it. It's okay. Or, yeah, I know what the Bible says, but that was written 2,000 years ago. We're living in a new world now. Things have changed. And so we continue with things that are against God's will. By nature, we don't want to admit that we are sinful. So by nature, we don't have repentance. It's really the Holy Spirit who has to come and work into our hearts through the law, showing us what God's will is, showing us that we have sinned and that because of those sins, we do not deserve God's forgiveness. It's the Holy Spirit who works repentance in us. You know, sometimes people think about their salvation. Like, yeah, God does, he, God is the one who does most of the work, but I still have to uh, be sorry for my sins. But then, in a sense, we're part of our own Savior. But even our sorrow, even our repentance is something that God first has to work in us. And then, when he does, true forgiveness comes. That's what it says here in our text. That he works repentance and forgiveness. Forgiveness is something that we all desperately need. See, our sins, those things that we do that are wrong, those hateful thoughts that we have, those impure uh, sexual sins that we, we think in our minds, the hatred that we have for others, the things that we do and the things that we think, those would all be like a big block between us and God. Jesus 
was raised to life. God raised Jesus from the dead to be our Savior, to give us the forgiveness of sins, to take all those sins away and remove that guilt from our lives. The Sanhedrin is sort of a tragic story, isn't it? You know, sometimes you can tell when a person is starting to feel guilty about what they've done. And usually you could tell they're feeling guilty about what they've done because they are the ones who most protest that they're not doing anything wrong to begin with. You can almost see like the cracks forming on the Sanhedrin because I think they were starting to feel guilty about crucifying Jesus. They, it bothered them when the apostles were going around telling everyone that what they had done. They felt guilty that they had put an innocent man to death. And they didn't want to hear it anymore. And notice how they even accused them, you are trying to put his blood on us. It's like they were trying to uh, rationalize what they had done. I think we do that too. We didn't kill Jesus. You know, it was the Roman soldiers who nailed him to the cross. But of course, they all had a role in it. Even we. For it was our sins that, that put Jesus there on the cross. But the thing is, this sin that the Sanhedrin had done, it had already been forgiven by God. Yet they refused to receive that forgiveness. But what a blessing it is for us to know that our sin were forgiven by God there on the cross. Jesus died to take away the guilt and the sin and to remove it all to make us right with God. That's what Easter means. And I think, I think Easter can change our outlook on life. It can make us not afraid to put our trust in God because he's all-powerful, Right? It can embolden us and maybe make us do things that the world would consider to be strange. But with God as our master, we don't have to be afraid. He is risen from the grave as our Lord and our Savior, as our Prince and Savior. Amen.